Well, good morning. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Good morning. That's better. That's better. I love you guys, and I love being here this morning. I love to preach. You know that? I absolutely just get a kick out of it. Someone asked me on the way in if I get nervous. I said, no, I absolutely love it. This is what I live for. And so today, if you would, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 John. That's where we will be today. I'll give you a hint. It's after Genesis, and it's before Revelation. I told the first service it's on page 1021 in my Bible, but I don't know how much that helps you. Before we read the scripture today, let me ask a question. How many of you like getting mail? Let me see your hands. Who likes getting mail? Few of us. Few of us really like getting mail. I love getting mail. And uh, it is one of my favorite things. I get so excited when the mailman comes or when, uh, when the UPS man comes. Uh, Tracy, our secretary, one of our secretaries, is in Belarus right now. And if you were to ask her... Uh, if I like mail, she would resound with a yes. Jonathan loves getting mail. Now, there's something magical that happens in the office around 4.30 when the UPS man shows up. I just get excited. I'm so ready to see if there's something for me. And a while back, Tracy, it was on a Thursday, a while back, Tracy emailed me midday, right around when the UPS man came, she emailed me, John, you got a package in the mail. And so I just got excited. The next day, I was in the office, and I ran in, and she had hidden the box from me, and uh, she pulled it back out, and I ripped it open and pulled it out, and there it was, my new tent that I had ordered from REI, and I just, I just ripped that thing open, man, and I tell you what, I did what every honest man in this room would do if he had gotten that thing. I took it right back to the choir room, and I set it up, and I got in it, and I sat down and laid down and just had a ball open in my mail, and I just love getting mail. And, uh, you know, I began thinking when I read this passage today and I began thinking about uh, that, how much I love mail and how much I love to see the UPS man come to the door. And I began to wonder if sometimes I don't treat Jesus like I treat my UPS man. What do you mean, Jonathan? Here's what I mean by that. I think sometimes we are guilty of treating Jesus Christ as we treat the postman. Oh, we love it when he comes and brings us something. Don't we? But really, if we were to look at it, we don't spend a whole lot of time with the postman. We don't really invite him in to dinner to sit at the table with us. Oh, we love it when he brings us things, but the other 90% of the time, we don't really have need of him. I'll begin to wonder if some of us possibly treat Jesus Christ as we would treat our repairman. Something's broke? Take it to the repairman. But you don't really need him all the other time in your life when things are going well. I began to wonder if we treat Jesus like we treat the garbage man. The garbage man's wonderful if you've got garbage, but if you don't have garbage, you don't really have need of him. And so we use Jesus to take things out of our lives when we need them taken out, but we really don't associate with him the rest of the time. I began to wonder if maybe some of you ladies today treat Jesus like you would treat your stylist. And uh, ladies love their stylist, and your stylist makes you look beautiful. And I wonder if sometimes, ladies, you, you might be guilty of loving Jesus because he makes you look a certain way, but, but you really don't have a, a close, intimate relationship with him. John, we are going to be reading 
today in 1 John. And, and when this book was written, when this epistle was written, John was writing to a group of people who were three generations removed from the events of the life of Christ. They'd never seen him. They'd never heard him. They'd never touched him. John was one of the last ones. He had watched Peter, uh, James, Matthew, Barnabas, all of them. Uh, he had watched all of them go and live their lives. And now he is one of the last ones and he is writing to a generation who had turned Jesus into a lot of different things. And they had a lot of different uses for Jesus, but not the right ones. Uh, Jesus had always, there had always been debate over whether or not Jesus was God. Now people began to wonder and question whether or not Jesus was even a real human being. And John is writing to them, and he is writing to us today to clear up the subject. To let us know who Jesus is, how we can know him. And uh, today, as you'll find out at the end of the service, we are going to recognize some high school graduates. And uh, I, I spoke to them. They were in the first service. I spoke to them because they're, they're entering a world that is very uncertain. And people want to make Jesus a lot of different things. Well, he was a great teacher. Well, he did you know, good, good works. Well, he did all this stuff. And I want to clear up the issue for, I wanted to clear up the issue for them, and I want to clear up the issue for all of us today. Because let's face it, in our jobs, in our workplaces, in the marketplace, it gets real easy, doesn't it, to make Jesus something other than what he is. And so let's look, let's read today. Let's begin 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. John writes, he's speaking of Jesus, the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, verse 1, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be full. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, write this phrase down and, and hold it close to your heart. Write this down. Knowing Jesus brings fellowship and joy. Knowing Jesus brings fellowship and joy. That's kind of the outline we're going to work with today. Uh, let's begin with talking about what it means to know Jesus. What in the world does that mean? We talk about that all the time in church. Well, do you know Jesus? Well, I mean... That can mean a lot of different things. Does that mean you just have a good textbook answer for who Jesus is? Uh, does it mean that you have a personal relationship with him? What does it mean to know Jesus? Well, let's see what John says. John is going to outline in these first two verses what it really means to know him, what it really means to understand him. Well, let's look at verse 1 and 2. And as we read these verses, I want you to really, really focus on the different bodily senses that John talks about, that he mentions. Look at verse 1 and 2. Speaking of Jesus, John writes, That which was from the beginning, sounds a lot like Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Christ Jesus, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. John uses three different bodily senses here. He talks about 
hearing. He talks about seeing and he talks about touching. So I begin to think about this. John is speaking of Christ and how he heard him and saw him and touched him. And I begin to think, what did John hear? What are some of the things that he heard? Well, if you were here when Jared was preaching through the book of Matthew, uh, right there, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is on a hillside and he is uh, explaining the scriptures. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's explaining the scriptures to a great crowd of people and he is teaching and unveiling the law of the kingdom and the, the uh, law as it was written uh, in the Old Testament. And he's teaching and, he's, and John sat right there on the hillside as the Son of God sat and taught the multitude. John heard every word of it. John knew every bit of it. John also heard Jesus teach in the temple. Many people were amazed by this because Jesus never had any formal training. He taught daily in the temple, in, in the temple there in Jerusalem. And the people were just blown away and amazed at what Jesus could teach them about the scriptures. And, and you know, all this different stuff that Jesus was pulling out and showing to them about himself. And John sat in the temple with Jesus daily and heard him teach. John also heard Jesus arguing with the Pharisees. And Jesus would dismantle their religion of works and their piety and their their proudness. And Jesus would just take them apart. And Jesus would do this all the time. And John was with him and heard all of it and knew all of it. John heard it with his own two ears. Well, what did John see? Those are the things that John heard. What did John see? John saw Jesus' first miracle. You know that one. In Cana of Galilee, Galilee, there was a wedding feast. And they ran out of what? Wine, that's right. They ran out of wine at the wedding feast. And so uh, Jesus tells the servants to fill all these huge pitchers up with water. And then when they dip the cup in, and the, the pitcher in to take it to the person who was over the head of the feast. And when they poured it out, there it was, wine. John sat right there and watched that first miracle. In fact, I'm pretty sure that since John was there, he probably partook of the wine and he probably drank it. John was right there. He saw it. John also uh, saw Jesus walk on water. They're out in the middle. The disciples are out in the middle of the lake of Galilee. And Galilee is notorious for having huge storms that would come up and shake ships and destroy ships and sailors. And, and the disciples were in the middle of one of these such storms. And John and, and all the disciples look up and, oh my goodness, there is someone walking on the water. And it's Jesus. John witnessed it. John one day was in Jerusalem and Jesus is uh, walking and they come up to a man who had been born blind. Never saw. Never had sight. And Jesus walks up to him and and Jesus says, this man was born blind so that God's glory might be revealed in his life. And then Jesus spits on the ground. He hocks a loogie in the dirt and and makes mud and smears it on this guy's face and says, go wash in the pool. And the guy comes back and he's got sight. He can see trees and he can see all sorts of things. John watched it. I mean, I don't know anyone here who has ever sat and watched someone spit on the ground, rub mud on the guy's eyes and give him sight. John saw it. He witnessed it. I'm convinced that one of the most majestic things that John ever saw was when he and James and Peter went up to the mountaintop with Jesus and Christ revealed all of his glory to them. That's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And then they watched as Moses and Elijah came from heaven and spoke with Jesus. John stood right there and saw it. Now when I was just a little fella, because as they say in Nightdale, I, I weren't little no more. When I was just a little fella, 
me and my family would go down to the beach. My youngest sister was not born, but my middle sister, who's still younger than me, Amy, we would go down and my family would go down and we'd spend the day down at the ocean. And as we would come in in the evening, my dad would sit down and he'd say, Jonathan, tell me what you saw today. And I'd say, I saw saw a crab. Amy would say, I saw a crab too. And I'd say, well, I saw a fish. Amy would say, I saw a fish too. And it seemed like no matter what I said, my sister had seen it. You know those, those kind of little siblings? You have those? No matter what you saw, they've been there. They've done that. They did it better than you did it. And, and I could say, I saw an alligator. And she'd say, I saw an alligator. And I promise you, I could have said, I saw a UFO with Elvis flying it. And my sister would have seen it. I'm telling you what, she saw everything. She, of course, would be lying. She said she saw a UFO with Elvis flying it, I think. And, uh, but if I began to think if John had been there. And my dad asked John, the apostle, John, what have you seen? John could say, oh, I've seen Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I've seen all his glory. What did John touch? I began to think about this. And as you know, there was one time where Jesus had a multitude of people following him. Probably uh, close to 15,000 people uh, follow him to a hillside. Scripture says there were 5,000 men. So we reckon that if there were uh, wives and children, it would be in the upwards of 15,000 people on one hillside following Jesus. And they had no food. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, what are we going to do? They followed us out here. It's, the, it's nighttime now. How are we going to feed them? Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we've, we've got a few loaves of bread and a couple fishes. Jesus said, give them to me. And he blessed the bread and he told his disciples, go and dispense it. And I know the disciples were probably thinking, my goodness, I know we followed this man out to the mountainside and we, we trust him, but a couple loaves? And as those disciples began to break the bread and distribute it, they would break it off and there was more bread still there. And they would break it off and there was more bread still there. And they began to just distribute this bread and pretty soon the whole crowd was fed and there was enough left over for the disciples to take home for dinner the next day. Leftovers. And uh, John touched that bread that Jesus blessed. John... uh, Touched a lot of different things. He, he saw a lot of different things. John most likely shook the hand of Lazarus when Jesus called him to come out of the grave. Think about that. John stood there. Jesus was in front of the grave. Lazarus, 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 I can't get that out, has been dead for four days. I love the KJV. He's, the KJV says, he stinketh. He did. He stinketh. He'd been in there for four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. A lot of theologians jokingly say that Jesus had to say his name because if he would have said, come forth, then every single dead person in the grave would have got up and come out. Jesus called Lazarus to come out of the the tomb and Lazarus came out and I'm sure John was standing right there and John probably walked up and just touched him just to make sure he was real. He touched Lazarus. He saw him. John was with Jesus for three years, knew his life, observed him. Beyond all these things, there's one other event that John took part in, that John saw things happen and he heard things happen and he touched in the life of Christ. 
John heard the agonizing sound of Christ being nailed to a Roman crossbar. He was there. He stood right at the foot of the cross. He saw the spear plunged into the side of Jesus. And he watched as the thorns were forced down upon his head. And John touched and held Mary as she watched her son die. John says, I know he's real. I've been there. I, I watched him die. John watched as they took his body off of the cross and began to carry it towards the tomb. Thank God it doesn't end there, though. Thank God it doesn't end there. For the believer, for the child of God, death is not the end. That three days later, John saw a new sight. Three days later, he ran and outran Peter to the tomb when Mary came and they said, his body is gone. It's nowhere to be found. We don't know where they've taken him. And John got there, and Peter really believed that someone had stole the body. John said, no, he told us this was coming. He's alive, and he's coming again. Only a short time after that, Jesus appeared to all of the disciples in the room there. And, and, and Jesus said, come, put your hand into my side and touch. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. And John got to walk up, and John got to touch and put his fingers in the nail prints and in the side, and got to hold on to the real living body of the risen Lord. John says, I've seen him, and he's alive. You can trust that this witness is true, and we are testifying it to you, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, which was made manifest to us. The only way you'll have eternal life is if you also place your faith in Jesus Christ. If John were here today, he would quote these words to you, from his own epistle, that which was from the beginning, which I have heard, which I have seen with my eyes, which I have looked upon and have touched with my own hands. I've seen him and he is real. John would say that he saw Christ and that placing your faith in Christ is the only way you will ever have eternal life. You must know him and have a personal relationship with him. You must believe that he died for you. So what does this belief in Christ, this personal relationship with him bring? John says it brings two things. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. John writes, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Did you catch them? Two things that come when you know Jesus Christ. First, fellowship. Secondly, joy. So let's look at this first one. What is fellowship? This is a word that we use a lot. Uh, here at the church we have a fellowship hall. Uh, it's a word that we, that we use a lot. The first thing that came to my mind was Lord of the Rings. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans today? The Fellowship of the Ring. I love those movies. And uh, the fellowship. What does that word mean? Well, here, the original Greek is the same word as partnership. And uh, if you were a lawyer, you would know what a partnership is. Or if you co-own a business with someone, you know what a partnership is. In a partnership, you share in both the profits and the losses with those whom you are partnered. That's what a partnership is, and that's what a fellowship is. And John says we have two kinds of fellowship. Look at verse 3. 
He says, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of fellowship that the believer has. First is a horizontal fellowship, a fellowship with each other, a human fellowship. And I want to talk about this, this human fellowship. John writes in verse 3 that the reason he is writing about Jesus is so that you may know Jesus, and this knowledge of Jesus would allow you to partner with other believers. When you partner with them, you share your life with them. And they share your life with you as a fellow believer. I am your partner. And we share in each other's profits and losses. Now, don't jump too quickly. This week when I get my paycheck, you don't get half. (laughs) Not that kind of profits and losses. So what does this mean? Here's what it means. We are partners together. I'm a partner with you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then I'm a partner with you. And so that means that if you uh, achieve something, man, I rejoice with you. If you make some kind of earthly profit, then I am thankful unto God. I rejoice with you. It also means that if you suffer loss, I grieve with you. I grieve with you. I was talking to my dad the other day about how being a believer for so long and getting to know people, and especially being a pastor. My dad's also a pastor. I began to talk to him about how being a pastor and and pouring your soul and heart into the flock uh, that God has entrusted to you really begins to affect you after the years. You sacrifice for them your time, your money, your popularity. Uh, You are there when they accomplish their greatest achievements. And you live with them. And and you as believers know this. If you've been together with other believers for a while, you live with each other. You love each other. You eat with each other. You laugh with each other. And, And many times... You suffer with each other. And many times you lose one another. And it is painful. It is extremely painful. But through the pain, you have other believers who are partnered with you. They come and stand beside of you. And they help you overcome the emotion and get through the tough stuff. That is what we are all about. That's why we are here. It's so that we can partner together. So that when you suffer loss, we can be there for you. So that we can rejoice with you in your profit and grieve with you in your loss. Let me just say, if you're not a believer today, you don't have that. You don't know what it's like. You really, really don't. Uh, You're walking through life as a lone ranger and and there's no one to come alongside of you and really, really help you. But when, and, and church, isn't it true? When you know each other and you are tied together in Christ, there is a bond there that is unshakable. And as sure as uh, the Lord himself lives, you can come together and, and help each other. There's also a divine aspect to this fellowship. When you know Jesus, you have fellowship with God. And you share in profits and losses with him. You say, wait a minute, Jonathan. I believe in God, but I thought it was all about getting stuff. No, uh, there are some losses. There are some things to be lost. What do you mean? Well, there are some things to be gained. There are some promises that God has made you. Uh, one promise is that one day you'll get a new body. In heaven, you'll get, you will receive a glorified body. But what does that mean? It means that one day you'll have to lose this body. That's one loss. Not a bad one. 
what else? It, it means that uh, the, another promise is that you will receive a place in heaven. Well, that means that we should be continually letting go of and losing this world. Because it's all going to burn up one day and be gone. So we'll lose this life. You are made right with God. And I think this is the greatest promise. And this is the greatest thing that comes with having fellowship with God. And, and you, you're made right with Him. You have a great relationship with Him. You are secure for your eternity. So what does that mean you lose? It means that one day you lose His judgment. You don't have to stand before Him on judgment day. You lose His wrath that burns against the ungodly in hell. Man, that's a great thing to lose. That's a great loss to sustain. <laughs> Amen? There we go. Those are wonderful things to lose. But you will only lose them when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. John says that he's proclaimed eternal life to you. So that you too may have fellowship with God. And you won't have it until you place your faith in him. Not only fellowship, John also describes the complete joy that the believer has when he places his faith in Christ. Let's look at this. Look at uh, verse 4. John writes, We are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. There's something about being a Christian, isn't there? That's joyful. There's just something about it that is just wonderful beyond comparison. Joy. Joy. There's a difference, though. I, I do want to take a moment and warn you. There's a difference, though, between what John is saying and what a lot of modern preachers are saying. Joel Osteen's one of them. Uh, I have no doubt, I saw like heads perk up when I mentioned his name. I have no doubt that Joel says that he loves God. But I do want to caution you for a moment. Uh, there is a difference between what the Bible calls joy and what a lot of modern preachers uh, like Joel are preaching. Uh, be wary when a, when a pastor or preacher preaches that, you know, when you place your faith in Christ, you'll have your finances taken care of and you'll have all sorts of uh, money, and you will have this and that and health and good relationships. The reason why that is dangerous is because it doesn't typify Christ. Did Christ was Christ rich when he was on this earth? No. Scripture says that he didn't even have a place to lay his head at night. He had a stone for a pillow. Did Christ ever have physical pain? I feel stupid even asking the question. That's the understatement of the year, isn't it? Did Christ have, always have great relationships? No, he had people crying, crucify him, crucify him. So just be careful. There's a difference between what John is talking about in joy and what a lot of other people talk about, happiness. Let me tell you the biblical difference and let me tell you what biblical joy really is. It is different from happiness. Happiness is based uh, on circumstances. It is called happiness because it is based on what happens to you. For instance... If I left today, if I walked uh, out this door after I got done preaching, got in my car, began to drive home, and I had a flat tire. Man, it's, it's warm outside, and I got on my dress clothes, I got a tie on, I'm, I'm burning up. I'm sweating up here just preaching. I know I'd be sweating, uh, changing a tire on a car. I wouldn't be happy. I would not be happy. I'd be miserable. i got to be honest with you. I'd probably have a bad attitude about it. And uh, don't look at me self-righteous. You would, too. <laughs> you would, too. You might not say any words, but you might write them down and sign your name to them or something. I mean, I wouldn't be happy. And, and any Christian who gets a flat tire and says, Oh, thank God, I just got a flat tire. Praise Jesus, I'm so happy, I can't stand it. 
Anyone that does that is not right in the head. It's just not right. But what I can say, church, listen to me today. What I can say is though I am not happy that this has happened to me, I have complete joy because my eternity is secure in the foundation of Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, like my tire, is sinking sand. There is complete joy in knowing Jesus Christ. And it is not based on any circumstances save one. And it is that on the third day Christ rose from the dead, assuring that one day when this body dies, I get a new one in heaven. And thank God I've got a good one picked out. Praise the Lord that I don't have to rely on things like my tires not popping to make me happy. I have a sure foundation Christians, you're not always called to be happy. Scripture says this, that yea, and all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a scary word. I learned this a while back. This is pretty good wisdom. Persecution is neither good nor bad. It just is. And if you are in the center of Christ's will, you will suffer for it. But be of good courage, because he did too. He's there with you. Contrary to what many popular preachers preach, you may live a life of poverty and bad health and still have the joy of the Lord. To quote John Piper, he's writing and he says, I do not know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it. Hatred. It is not the gospel It is being exported from this country to Africa and to Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message and your pigs won't die. Your wives won't have miscarriages. You'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. And that's coming out of America. The people that ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives, instead selling them a bunch of junk called gospel. And here is the reason that it is so horrible. When was the last time that any American, Asian, African ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because they drove a BMW. Never. They'll say, did Jesus give you that? Yeah. Well, I'll take Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That is elevating gifts above giver. Do you see that? I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful. John Piper writes, It is when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like I was with a little girl on 11th Avenue two weeks ago, dead on the street for three hours before the police would let her go. And you say through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look glorious as God, not as giver of health or cars or safety. Oh, how I pray that Nightdale will be purged of this health wealth and prosperity gospel. Indeed, that America will be purged and that the Christian church will be marked by suffering for Christ. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him in the midst of loss, not prosperity. You would hate to go to a doctor 
who examined your body, who sent you through tests and found out that you had cancer and never told you. And even more so, there are pastors today and preachers today who are preaching and they are not revealing the whole word of God. And the idea is this, that there is a coming judgment. And I know it's not popular to mention it, but I'm concerned for some of you because you're going there. And you are searching in so many areas and in all the wrong places for joy. You've turned to addictions, you've turned to habits, you've turned to all sorts of things. Fame, wealth, prosperity, and it is none of those. Christ said, whoever will lose his life for my sake shall surely find it. And you will only find true joy when you come to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And no matter if I am ever happy again, I need grace. And no matter if I am ever popular, I need Jesus. And no matter if I am ever uh, happy and set and ahead of the curve in the game, no matter if I ever climb the corporate ladder, no matter if I live the rest of my life on the poverty line, no matter if I die today, I have Jesus and He is enough. Do you have it? Do you have it? Knowing Jesus brings fellowship. Enjoy. And the question today is, do you have?